You know, that idea of being, being bold enough to, to call what we need to call, to say what we need to say, that, that relates to us in terms of when we want to speak for the Lord. We want to tell somebody about our faith in Christ, and yet, and yet there is that thought, isn't there? What are they going to say? What are they going to do? And maybe that's been impacted. Certainly, your, 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 your present actions are impacted and influenced in some ways by previous experience. See if any of this sounds familiar to you. I've tried before to share my faith. It didn't go well. I was basically shouted down, put in my place. In my experience, trying to witness can cost you big time. I've learned to keep a lower profile. Or, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm not the right person to talk to other people for God. Maybe I'm just not gifted in that way. Okay? Or, I just want to get along with people. I want people to like me. In these days, it seems that getting people to like me is going to take not talking so much about faith or religion, not talking so much about Jesus. And yet our mission as his church is the same one Jesus gave us as his disciples, as his followers. Jesus said to go into the world, to go everywhere, to make disciples, to to baptize, to bring others into the church, to to. Build one another up as followers of Jesus. That's what we've been given to do. To go to, to bring in, to build up. And yet, going to can be discouraging. Going to can be hard. Going to can cost you. Sometimes it seems like my going isn't going anywhere. You identify with that? This isn't working. I'm not having a lot of success here. We're afraid we'll be marginalized or mocked. We're afraid we're going to be labeled. We're going to lose friends. We're, we, we don't have the right answers to the hard questions that are going to be asked if we speak up. Sometimes it feels like our efforts are in vain. They're futile. They're to no effect. It's for nothing. The Apostle Paul could have felt that way. And out of his experience, out of his experience of it not going well and him paying a price for speaking up and what he does next from there, he uses that experience to strengthen these Thessalonian Christians. And as we listen in, God uses his experience to strengthen us. I invite you to turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, there will be a flag on the play. If you follow along with the notes in the bulletin, you'll notice I've changed my wording on the screen from what's in your bulletin notes. That, that's on me. I'll take that five-yarder. But um, we're, we're going to be encouraged in this passage that, that if, if 1 Thessalonians is the foundations for growth of the gospel in the lives of others, foundations for growth of the gospel in a church, then, then this, this section, this Opening verses of 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 are going to tell us that growing begins with going. That we need to go and we need to say, we're going to, we need to be bold in our God. Let's see what those first opening verses say. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. If you're using the church Bible, I want you to have eyes open. So have a Bible, device, something. I want you to have this text before you if you can. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find us on page 986. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
It says, For you yourselves know, brothers and sisters, that our coming to you was not in vain. It was not futile. It was not for nothing. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive or mislead, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. Paul says that we could be bold. He had a boldness. And he, he, he refers to this coming to you from Philippi. And perhaps you remember the story in Philippi where Paul, for his witness, and because he shared the gospel with a slave girl and she was miraculously delivered from spiritual oppression and bondage, but her masters could now not get any more profit out of her, because she'd been delivered from that spirit. And so they brought charges against Paul and they incited a mob against him and, and they were unjustly beaten and they were thrown in jail. And yet none of that should have happened because of who they were. The rights that they had as Roman citizens. They were treated shamefully, unjustly. And yet, and coming from there, they left Philippi after that and they come next to Thessalonica after a couple of days' journey. And when they arrive at Thessalonica, maybe they've learned their lesson. Maybe they've adjusted their approach. Maybe they're going to be a little more low-key. Maybe they're going to take it slow and easy. No. They don't know how much time they've got. It turns out they've got weeks or months in Thessalonica. That's all the time they have. But though they were mistreated before, he says, our coming to you was not for nothing. We had boldness. We came in boldness in our God. Our past experiences can cause us to maybe be too cautious. They can cause us to withdraw. They can cause us to hesitate, to not speak up, to not say something, to not want to try anymore. It doesn't seem worth the cost. Our present cultural environment can... can um, make it more difficult as well. It can whisper things in our head like, well, you heard about this person or that person, and we hear these news stories about people in various pro pro professions. There was, a, there was a cake baker. There was a florist. There was a fire chief in Atlanta who, because of not something he did on the job, but because he wrote a curriculum for an adult Sunday school class that he taught outside the firehouse in his church because of things that he had written and said there, that he lost his job. And, and we hear these things, and they, they tell us to be careful. They suggest maybe we should just be quiet. Make our faith a personal matter between us and the Lord. Withdraw from the public square, it's suggested. And yet Paul had a boldness to declare to you the gospel. Boldness has a sense of courage. It has a sense of venturing forward, a willingness to go forward even at risk, even when there's a cost for good reason. To go ahead and declare, to let God's position be known. Now you say, well, yeah, but that's Paul. That's not me. You know, Paul's obviously much bolder of a personality. He's just more of an in-your-face kind of person. That's, that's not the kind of person I am. Well, how do you know that's the kind of person Paul is? Well, look what he did. Look at the thing. Yeah, how did he do that? Well, at the end of his ministry, when he has much experience and he's been through a lot and he knows it's worth it all, 
He's seen the church flourish and grow, and yet when he writes to the Ephesian church from Rome, he says this to them. At the end of the letter, he says, and pray also for me that I would have boldness to proclaim the gospel, to speak boldly as I ought to speak. He ought to speak boldly, but he didn't take it for granted. That boldness is not, for, for, not within him. He says, pray for me that God will give me boldness. So Paul's writing out of his experience, but his experience in that prayer being answered. He, like we, is dependent on the Lord for this boldness. I'm reminded of the early church. It wasn't just Paul. That was the pattern of the early disciples as well. They first start telling others they're, they're spreading this good news about Jesus in Acts chapter 4. This is at the very beginning. And right away, the authorities call them in, right? They call them on the carpet. They say, who do you think you are? And who gave you the right to say these things and to stir people up and confuse people? And they said, we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We must obey God rather than men. And when they were released, they were threatened, maybe beat up a little bit, they were released, and what did they do? They prayed for boldness. Their prayer was this, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. The church has always needed to pray for boldness. We've never taken boldness for granted. It's not necessarily just a matter of who we are, but we can be bold, not in ourselves, but in our God, to declare to someone around us the gospel. Now, boldness needs to be balanced with gentleness, with understanding. We're going to talk about that next week. This chapter goes on. You see Paul emphasizing his care, his understanding, the, the gentleness with which he approached others and how he ministered to them. So put a pin in that thought. We'll come back to that next week. But first, let's just realize we can be bold in God. We can be bold. If they are against you, well, they ridicule you, they mock you, they marginalize you. Why? It's because they don't know Jesus. So what's to be done? What are we going to do with that? How are we going to fix that? Somebody's going to have to tell them about Jesus. And there you are. There you are. It may be a conflict, it may be a struggle, it may be difficult. That conflict word there doesn't mean there's an argument, doesn't mean there's a heads-to-head, -head. it means it's hard. It's the same word for a hard roll-up-the-sleeve kind of of hard work or labor. It's the word we, we get our, our word agony from. It's to agonize over something, to pour everything you've got into it, to pay whatever it takes, to climb no matter how steep. We do so in confidence. Where does that confidence come from? Because we wait for his son from heaven. That's how the last chapter closed, right? Every chapter closes on a note of Christ's coming. And just before Paul talks about this boldness in his coming to them, he, he talked about their waiting for God's Son from heaven, Jesus who delivers them from coming wrath, the same coming wrath that the people around them face. And Paul's concern is that they would have the same boldness that he had while he was among them because they're facing the intimidation. They're facing the pressure to be quiet, to leave us alone. And yet, they're not being quiet either. Either, That's one of the things that he has been encouraged by. He encouraged them, continue, you can be bold in our God. You know, there are people all around the world, there are brothers and sisters in Christ, there are Christians who are persecuted for their faith. 
Much worse than we might experience in the terms of mocking or ridicule. But they are beaten, they are arrested, they are persecuted, they are jailed, they are imprisoned because they, are, they name the name of Jesus. Or because they gather together with other Christians in worship in an unauthorized gathering. Because some will function as leaders within a small group, a house church, and care for and read the word of God to others. Because they would dare to share their faith and witness to somebody else, seeking to turn somebody else from idols to the true and the living God. And they're beaten. They're persecuted. They're fired from their jobs. They're jailed. They're martyred or killed. It wouldn't, it wouldn't, you know, it'd be good for us just to pause. We talk about boldness in our circumstances, but could we just pause and pray for people in those kind of situations. That, these are our brothers and sisters. This is Christ's church. Let's just pause and pray. Father, we do. Lord, we, we ask for your grace, your mercy, your help in time of need for, for these, our brothers and sisters in Jesus, who are so sharply and harshly persecuted because you have chosen them, because they have put their faith in you, because they dare to follow Jesus in a place where that is much more greatly persecuted than it is in our experience. Father, would you give them your grace, your mercy? Would you, Father, give them comfort in the midst of the pain and the hurt and the, the price that they have paid? Father, would you give them your grace? Father, would you bear fruit through their faithful testimony? Would you cause your church to grow there in the midst of that opposition? Show your glory. Father, would you uphold them and care for them even in the midst of suffering, Lord? Would you relieve that suffering? Would you shelter them? Father, care for your own, our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. If they could be bold anyway, we can be bold in our confidence in declaring the name of Christ to others because you and I have been approved. You and I have been accepted by God. To put it this way, we can be bold in our God because we have been approved by God. You can be bold because he chose you. First of all, Where do we, our standing before others, what gives us the courage, what gives us the boldness to stand before others and name the name of Christ, first of all, is our acceptance by him ourselves. The the soapbox or the platform upon which I stand is that he lifted me up out of the miry clay and he set my feet upon a solid rock. And that rock is Jesus. And it's upon that rock that I stand and my acceptance in Christ before God gives me the courage and the boldness to tell of his acceptance, his forgiveness, his restoration to others. Because he has embraced me, he has accepted me. Having God's full approval, Ephesians 1 and 2, tell us all that God has done for us in Jesus. And those are good, good chapters just to rehearse Sometime in your, in your week in devotional reading, turn to those two chapters again and remind yourself of all that God has done, how God has changed everything for you, how God has turned the world right side up for you forever in Jesus. Who you are now in him and who you are in him, fully accepted in the beloved means it doesn't matter as much as I thought it did what other people think of me because I know 
how much my God treasures me. You know how much God treasures you. And that is where, it, that, that, that reminder frees us from craving as much as we might the approval of others. Approved by God here especially means that we've been commissioned by God. This, this begins early, early in the gospel. Certainly Jesus, before his death, he gathers his disciples in John 15 and he says to them, you did not choose me, but I have chosen you and ordained you. You thought ordained was for preachers, right? You have chosen, I have chosen you and ordained you, Jesus said, appointed you, that you should go, going to others, that you should bear fruit, and that your fruit that you bear by going to others would remain for eternity, that God would give you enduring fruit because he's chosen to do that through you. That's why after his death and his resurrection, Jesus gives his church the great commission through the disciples to go to everybody, everywhere, to bring them into his church, to build up one another as followers of him. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 he links this to our new identity in Jesus. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. Everything's new. And these, all these things are from God, who has himself given to us this ministry of reconciliation. This ministry of making us now have a new standing, a new relationship in Christ Jesus. And he has committed to us, he's put into our hands the word of reconciliation. What is that word? What is that message? How that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. Therefore, we are ambassadors for, for Christ. We are ambassadors for Christ as if God himself were pleading through us. We beg you, Paul says, in Jesus' place, be reconciled to God. That's the commission that he's given us. That's what he's entrusted into our hands, that God has chosen us. We have been, Paul says, approved by God to be entrusted with his gospel. Not merely to hold it, to keep it safe, to lock it carefully in a drawer so that nothing bad happens to it. We have been entrusted with his gospel as the ones to deliver it to others. Amazon would collapse if they could not deliver. The gospel is a wonderful thing. But it is for nothing if the church does not deliver. He's put that in our hands. Maybe your ambition in life is to get one of those tall, gray vans with a smile on the side and drive around delivering in the neighborhoods of Vancouver. Maybe that is your ambition. I've got a better one for you. Two, with a smile not on your side of your van, but on your face to deliver this wonderful gospel that God has entrusted to us, to the people that he has scattered you among all week long. God has entrusted us this into our hands. This answers what somebody might say, what? what? Who, who made you God's messenger? What right do you have to say these things? Who, who, who says you can speak for God? You can say, well, God did. God told me to. You know, that, that passage out of Isaiah 61 that we read at the start of the service, 
Let me bring that in. Certainly that was true preeminently of Jesus. He spoke those words, but so can you. Can you not, as a born-again believer in Jesus, indwelt by his spirit, sent by his commission, can you not also say, the spirit of the Lord is upon me? Because God has anointed me to tell his gospel to people all around that need it. Yeah, that's true for Jesus, and that is true for you and I. That's the standing that he has given us in Christ. We have been approved by God to be entrusted with his gospel, and don't let it be for nothing. You know, Paul's coming to Thessalonica would have been futile for nothing if he'd said nothing. But it wasn't, and ours must not be either. The test of each one's witness is not what others think about you. It's not even how they respond to you. It's God who examines our hearts. That tells me, it suggests to me at least, that God is your messenger. I'm going to pray. God is your messenger. Is there something I can do? Is there something with me that's in the way? Is there something that I can do to help this person to hear? I'm going to be praying for those that I'm going to because this is, this is real. This is serious. And when you pray for lost people, you start to see lost people. When you pray for someone in particular, you start to see that person. You start to get, you start to notice, you start to be more sensitive to that person. That's what I mean by seeing that person. So we might often say, speak to God about people before you speak to people about God. But do both. Do both. You may be rejected by some, but you have been approved by the one that matters most. You have been approved by God. So go in his boldness and bring God joy. You're going. You're telling, focusing on pleasing God rather than men. You know, that, that strikes me. Every time I come across a verse like that that talks about how we please God, I say, wait a minute, me? As if God really notices, Right? I mean, do you really think day to day as you're thinking about your day, brushing your teeth in the, in the morning, are you thinking, God is going to be pleased with me today? Did that cross your attention this morning? Probably not. But it should. You and I have an amazing privilege of bringing our God, our Father, pleasure. You have the ability, by the things that you do, by the things that you don't do, by the things that you choose, following in his will, trusting him, you have the ability and the opportunity to bring God joy. That's a big deal. It's God's evaluation that matters. Go back to my football analogy. God is the booth review. God is the review upstairs. God is the take a look at that in New York of any significant play that matters. So what other people say, what they're grumbling on the field, the pleading, you've seen the, you know, a flag comes out, right? And there's all these antics and there's this expression of the, of the player and the coach and, and, the, and the ref's face and none of it matters a bit. It doesn't change anything. What matters is the review upstairs. God examines our hearts. And so we'll focus on pleasing God. And focusing on pleasing God means we don't speak with, platter, with flattery just to please people. We don't say things. We don't adjust what we're going to say just in order to what somebody wants to hear. We're willing to tell people hard things 
things that are hard to hear. Boldness in God lets us tell the truth instead of trying so hard to agree with anything we can as far as we can go so that we end up sounding fake or flat, not real. Now, there's balance there, again. We need to sometimes say hard things, but we need to say hard things gently, carefully. Many cultural issues today need sensitivity and tenderness. For instance, issues like homosexuality or gender confusion. And those will be put out in front, in front of the gospel, but they are not the primary issue. The primary issue is humanity's brokenness before God. Humanity in general as a whole are rebellion against God and choosing to determine what's right for ourselves rather than submitting ourselves to God. And yet God has brought us back in Jesus. And that return, that reconciled into relationship with God, where anything else can be sorted out in restoration of relationship with God, but what about the restoration? That's the first issue. That's the primary issue. And that is through Jesus dying for me, taking my shame, giving me his honor, removing my guilt, giving me his rightness with God. That's what God has done. And the message we give to people is, will you receive that from God? Will you believe God concerning his son, Jesus, what he's done for you? If you'll start there, if you'll, if you'll accept that, if you'll trust God for that, admit our rebellion and God's restoration in Jesus, then we can talk about other things. Then you can, you can work out other questions and issues and confusions with him. But we start there. We don't come, it says, with self-serving motives. We don't come with a in a pretext for greed. We're actually serving ourselves and going to other people. It's been said this, that we need to go to people around us without any agenda. And what we mean by that is, without any agenda, I come to people around me, and I don't come near and come along and make a friend, help them with this, and be there when they need somebody, because I'm trying to manipulate them into going where I want them to go and becoming what I want them to become, that they're my project. Nobody wants to be your project. Nobody wants to feel like, at the end of the day, they've been manipulated by you and brought along by you someplace that they didn't want to go. And yet I do go to people around me with an agenda. I do have an agenda. My agenda is God has wondrously, graciously forgiven me, saved me, and I want them to have that too. God has given me a standing with him as, in his, as his own, and he's invited me into sharing that with others, and I want them to have it too. I do have an agenda. And I can be open about that agenda. My agenda is not, is, is not to force them or steer them, but join them to our church. You see, preachers sometimes are, oh, well, you're saying that because you've got an agenda. You know, you're paid to say those kind of things. You, 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 you're just trying to get more people to, into your church. You know, that's your own status. You know what? That really strengthens your position, doesn't it? Because as far as I know, you're not paid to tell anybody. Are any of you getting a commission based on how many people you tell the wonderful news of Jesus to? I hadn't seen that in the budget anywhere. You see, people write me off. They write off what I say. Well, of course you say that. You're a pastor. You're paid to say that. You're not. For you, it's real. And it comes at a cost. And when it comes at a cost, it hurts. But it means something. And people do notice. Peter says that they'll notice. 
We please God rather than man. And God is pleased when we make known his love, his forgiveness, his grace through faith in his son, even if people around us don't want to hear it. He's pleased when we do that. How do I know? Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus made God's forgiveness in Jesus known. He told them when they didn't want to hear it. He was faithful about it before them and with them and toward them, though they mocked him, ridiculed him, persecuted him, crucified him for it. And Jesus always did that, which pleased the Father, right? So wouldn't it, wouldn't it please God when you do the thing that Jesus did? When you are willing to do the thing that Jesus did, even though it cost him everything, which is what made that thing that we have to tell people about real. Look what God did with it. So certainly, God would be pleased when you and I do that which Jesus did, telling other people to believe in him. You know, there's no greater praise that I can imagine from God than this. My child, when you do that, you remind me of Jesus. Think about it. When you do that, when you go ahead, when you trust me, when you have the boldness to tell somebody and it's going to cost you, when you, when you realize that, yes, you are the one I have chosen, I have sent for this, even though it costs you, when you pursue bringing me joy, even when it costs you, you remind me of Jesus. Don't withdraw. You can be bold. We can be bold in our God to go to people around us with the truth about Jesus. In fact, God has chosen you to do it. You're the one. You're the one for somebody around you. You can be confident that he will make your effort matter. It won't be for nothing. Be bold. You're the one. Bring God joy by bringing his joy, his peace, his forgiveness, his restoration to those whom he has sprinkled you among. That's what it means to be going. And you know, growing begins with our going, going to people around us. What do I mean by that? Certainly for Christ's church, for the redeemed, for those who are saved, for that number to increase as it did in the first century, also in this century, for that to happen, it takes going. But for ourselves, if we're going to be growing in Christ, growing ourselves, entrusting him, following him, even when it's hard, even when it doesn't fit my personality, growing takes going. Be bold. You're the one. Bring God joy by bringing his joy. You know, Acts 23. Paul must have been a riot, really. How do I know? Paul, it must have been a riot to be with Paul on mission, right? Because everywhere Paul went, sooner or later, there would be a riot. Yeah. And so when after the, on his third journey, he finally gets back to Rome, and there you are again. There's a riot, and Paul's arrested, and he's in prison, and the Romans are trying to figure out what in the world's going on here. But in jail that next night, Luke records what happens then. Acts 23, verse 11. The following night, the Lord stood by him. God met him there. Jesus met him there and said, take courage. 
For as you have testified to the facts, the truth about me in Jerusalem, so you must testify also in Rome. Could I rephrase that a little bit? Don't throw a flag on the play here. But let me rephrase those words to you and I. Take courage. Be bold. You have told some God's truth about Jesus. Sometimes it went well, sometimes it didn't. But even so, you must tell others also. Let's pray. Father, would you give us boldness? Father, boldness that is not in ourselves, what we can do, how we can convince, but boldness that comes from our God who does save. Father, give us boldness knowing that we have been approved by you. And that's what matters most. That you have said to us, my child, you're the one. Father, give us boldness knowing that though it costs us, Father, we have the privilege, we have the joy of bringing you joy. Lord, as we go from here in a few minutes this morning, Father, as we go to people around us, some of us will be with friends or neighbors, even in a gathering or in a football party this afternoon. Lord, maybe there's someone there that we would have the opportunity. Lord, in the moment, as your spirit leads, give us boldness to say. And Father, bear fruit. Make it, Father, we would ask you. Make our words not in vain, not for nothing, but Lord, bear fruit that will last for eternity. Lord, as we give ourselves in the week, as we give ourselves trusting you in this offering this morning, Lord, it's again it's an exercise that, that we demonstrate. We stretch ourselves. We say, God, I give this because I trust you. I believe you. Lord, use it. Use it to tell others. Use it to glorify yourself. Use it to bring others to your son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, as we approach this table, I said that we are accepted by God, that we are approved by God. And this table reminds us of that. We do this regularly as a church because in the church we're reminded that God has approved us. He has said, you belong to me. You are mine. You are fully accepted in the beloved Son. If that is your if, if that is your faith, if that is your confidence, I want to read from Ephesians 2 just to remind you some of what God says concerning you and I. God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together in Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and has seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved. And this not of yourselves is the gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ for good works that God has before ordained, prepared before, that we would walk, go in them. Therefore, remember. Remember that you were 
before, at that time, separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. You were strangers to the covenants of promise. You had no hope and were without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace. If that's your confidence, if that's your hope, then we invite you to share in this table, in this Passover bread and cup that we continue from that last meal that Jesus had with his disciples. We encourage you to remember as he did for them, to remember his death for us. So as those who are serving come forward, I invite you, we'll pass first the bread, we'll serve one another, and then we'll all partake together. We'll do the same then following with the cup. If you're not sure, have I, in fact, trusted God for that acceptance? If I stood before God, would I offer what I have done in trying to obey him? Or would my claim of entrance into his presence be on what his son Jesus did for me? Maybe take a moment right now as we give thanks to declare to God again in your own heart. God, I believe you concerning Jesus, your son, my savior. God, I believe that I'm accepted before you based on what he has done for me, not anything I could do for myself. Lord, I want to serve you now to please you and bring you joy because you have given me this life in Jesus to do that. Lord, thank you for accepting me in Jesus, my Savior. In his name I pray, amen.